Why do we still have trouble finding enough personal protective equipment for essential workers? New numbers from the trucking industry has it turned the corner. And solutions promote social distancing in facilities. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Fortna. Fortna partners with the world's leading brands to transform their distribution operations to keep pace with digital disruption and growth objectives. Known worldwide as the distribution experts, Fortna designs and delivers intelligent solutions powered by their proprietary software to optimize fast, accurate, and cost-effective order fulfillment. For more information, visit Fortna.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin, I'd like to introduce this week's guest. Dr. Tom Goldsby is the co-faculty director for the Global Supply Chains Institute at the University of Tennessee's Haslam College of Business. And he also teaches in the Masters of Science in Supply Chain Management online program. And I might add that he was named as a DC Velocity Rainmaker, the class of 2019. Tom, you've been studying supply chains during the pandemic, and here we are almost six months in, and our health supply chain still cannot get adequate supplies of personal protective equipment, such as N95 masks. Why are we still struggling with this problem? Well, uh, David, uh, that's the question we're all asking, and, and frankly, we're all you know, quite perplexed by it. And like so many other things in supply chain management, it's more complicated than it might appear on the surface. And, and for one, I, I think uh, PPE covers a really wide array of items. You mentioned the N95 mask, uh, which is certainly uh, an, an essential item. But uh, for those, particularly in the healthcare profession that need these uh, protective measures on the front lines, you know, we're concerned with face shields and goggles uh, garments of all kinds, including gowns and gloves, uh, in some cases, aprons and shoe coverings. And then, of course, there's also the concern for hand sanitizers and disinfectants. And it seems like each one of those items or commodities has its own distinct challenges. But, uh, you know, succinctly, uh, we deal with very complex supply chains that, in many cases, stretch around the world. And also just the the mere fact that we just didn't anticipate uh, needing this volume of supply across any of those items. Uh, in supply chain, we often uh, play the, the beer game uh, at our universities, and that's a classic simulation game where we ask students to respond to a small change in demand, and we see the bullwhip effect ripple upstream in the supply chain. And that's, to, to a large extent, what's transpired in our supply chain for these PPEs, it's just that we're talking about not you know a small 10 or 15% increase, we're talking about several times uh, order of magnitude increases. Um, when you think about each one of these items may uh, need to be used um, several times in the course of a day by a healthcare professional. It's not like a single mask will get through a day. They may need dozens of masks. And so uh, the, the sheer demand has, uh, has just viscerated uh, our, our opportunity to supply that demand. Has a lot of this been just due to the fact that this is a worldwide pandemic, and so all parts of the world are needing the same kind of product at the same time, and, and that becomes a problem if they're only sourced in certain places? 
That's true. I mean, we look to common sources of supply around the world, and uh, you know, there is something of a a tradition now that's uh, of looking after one's own national interests first. And so, uh, you can only you know expect China to be concerned about China's demand uh, when they're producing. They're going to look after their own, na own national interests first, and then everyone else is going to follow. Uh, and then those with the, the the purchasing power are going to probably come in next in order, which fortunately the United States has pretty sub substantial purchasing power. But again, our need is perhaps somewhat greater than um, found around the world. Where are most of these products made? Well, I mentioned China, and, and China continues to uh, to be a prominent uh, source of supply for many of the items I, I iterated moments ago. Uh, we are developing uh, some supply base. We, we've had uh, for instance, 3M, a, a very reliable provider of N95 masks, perhaps the world's leading provider, and they have stepped up their uh, capacity set aside in the advent of a crisis. Uh, but uh, you know, even they didn't anticipate just how massive uh, the demand was going to be, how big the need was going to be. Uh, and so while, while we do have some domestic supplies, including some very innovative entrepreneurs that are out there that you know are turning a once uh, dormant garment industry uh, into you know, providers of cloth face masks. And, and uh, we've been seeing the, the 3D hobbyists who are creating uh, face shields uh, granted in small volume. Um, you know, we continue to rely on China, India, Vietnam uh, for a lot of our supplies. And I've heard that uh, in, for products like rubber gloves, we're, we're looking to sources like Turkey um, of course, what's also going on in the backdrop of all this is, uh, you know, some opportunistic profiteering that's going on and that we've got a lot of uh, untrustworthy, unreliable suppliers that are popping up, uh, taking orders, but not necessarily delivering high quality uh, products. And so that's, uh, that's the, the larger backdrop. I think we're going to be learning for years to come um, of some of the scandalous activity taking place out there, unfortunately, of folks looking to uh, take advantage of the situation. If we could increase our manufacturing capability domestically, is there still a problem with being able to source the raw materials that you're needed for this? Well, certainly uh, that would be a problem. Uh, we, we source raw materials from around the world, uh, even for fairly simple products, even uh, food products. Uh, I think most people would be surprised that realizing how disparate the sources of food ingredients are. So, you know, as we look at anything that's at all uh, complex in its composition, you know, we're going to tend to rely on more disparate sources of supply. Uh, also, with regard to just simply scaling up those operations, I think we need to keep in mind that these are highly capital intensive operations. Uh, you can't just snap your fingers. And uh, once you do build that capacity, you really hope that the demand uh, continues because you, you have a pretty long tail in paying off uh, the investments of the kind we're talking about. Is this a lack of government involvement in being able to help companies scale up that by either giving them tax incentives or some other way of being able to help offset that huge investment they need to make? Well, that'd be one way to, to go about it. Uh, and then, um, you know, it is a question of whether or not we could continue to be globally competitive uh, beyond the crisis. And, you know, as I talk to strategic decision makers, you know, there are decisions that you might take in the short term 
that may not make sense, frankly, in the long term. And I know a lot of people have been picking on lean thinking. And David, I got to tell you, I'm a big advocate of lean thinking. And uh, I think uh, if you embrace the fact that lean thinking uh, encourages us to devise robust processes and not just simply to streamline our inventories down to the bare essentials, I think there's a lot of promise in lean thinking. But with regard to the inventories, I don't know of a lot of companies that want to invest in the working capital it would take to uh, to meet the needs either uh, you know beyond the crisis. I think you know we're all interested in having those supplies here now, but you know eventually we will go on the far side of this, hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, the question is, do you want to be sitting on fixed assets or huge stockpiles of inventory when the need is not there? Someone perhaps needs to fund it, and it might be. Uh, federal or state governments that uh, need to step up. Are there any other alternatives or other alternative sources for finding these kinds of goods? Well, I indicated that, uh, you know, there are the opportunistic players out there, but I am taking heart in the entrepreneurial activity uh, of those who are genuinely interested in stepping up to meet the need uh, of the time. Uh, unfortunately, you know, when there is a crisis, there are going to be probably just as many people looking to take advantage of it as there are to, to step up and help you see the good and bad in people in such times. But uh, looking at the good, I, you know, it's, it's been really uh, great to see uh, small startups. And, and as I understand, the number of patents that have been issued this year uh, far outpaces the patents we've seen in previous years. And so I interpret that to be certainly you know, a lot, of, a lot of big companies are innovating, but also I'm heartened to see uh, small and medium-sized enterprise stepping up uh, to meet the need. So uh, they do need a, a hand perhaps in, in getting uh, the momentum to scale up, but uh, I, I'd like to think that uh, there, there can be those opportunities. If we continue with our pandemic six to 12 months or however long it's going to last, do you anticipate this problem getting any better or are things pretty much going to be the way they are now with the current supply available? Well, just as we are experiencing the second peak of the first wave, technically, I think is where we are. And hopefully that peak is going to subside here any day now. Uh, you know, we were afforded a little bit of an opportunity to catch our breath in between the peaks. So if you looked at the March, April timeframe, uh, we were peaking and then things subsided a bit in to May and June. And I, I hope that, you know, perhaps we can catch our breath and, and allow the supply to catch up to the demand. Uh, it means uh, maybe stockpiling inventories uh, in anticipation of the next peak, maybe that second wave uh, that we've been told to anticipate. Uh, maybe it's also uh, building that capacity we need uh, that can step up. But uh, I also like to think that we are going to gain an agility uh, such that we can accommodate um, peaks or, or even uh, downsize as needed on the far side of peaks that uh, allows us to, to flex and, and be competitive uh, in meeting the, the current crisis, but also in ways that help us to meet ongoing market demands, whatever they might look like. Is there anything that supply chain companies can do to help alleviate some of the stress that we're finding right now in, in getting the proper PPE that we need? Well, I think bringing the expertise forward uh, is essential. And, uh, you know, just speaking of the logistics service industry, you know, we're blessed to have a lot of uh, innovative thinkers and uh, can-do attitude out there. 
that can help to step up to, to meet the need. And, you know, I would hope that, uh, you know, federal and state authorities, uh, as well as right down to things like the local food bank can leverage the capabilities we have. And, you know, as a representative of the university population, you know, we academics uh, have a lot to offer as well. So, uh, you know, the United States is, uh, I think, at the forefront of logistics and supply chain knowledge. And um, I, I would hope that we can uh, leverage that, uh, frankly, an advantage that we have to the benefit of the people. Great. Well, hopefully uh, the numbers will subside and that uh, we'll be able to catch up with the supply and the needs that are there. Um, everybody just needs to start wearing their mask. Amen, David. Thank you very much for your time, Dr. Tom. Good Thank to you me. very much. Appreciate it. Now let's turn to some of the other supply chain news from the week. Ben, you reported this week on some positive numbers for the trucking industry. Has it begun to turn the corner? It's a great question, Dave. Uh, a lot of companies are, are looking for that to happen because it's been a really tough couple of months uh, during the pandemic shutdowns. But in the past couple weeks, couple months, uh, we've seen various regions around the U.S. begin to reopen their economies. And in reaction to that, uh, shippers and manufacturers and retailers are rushing to rebuild inventory that had shrunk quite small when we were all staying home and nobody was going out anymore. Uh, so that meant that freight demand came roaring back in June, in the words of FTR Transportation Intelligence, which is an industry analysis group, uh, that followed the really steep contractions in March and April. And at the same time, trucking capacity, which is the number of drivers and vehicles on the road, had not increased at the same pace. So freight rates have climbed up very quickly, just from uh, supply and demand. Uh, in, in FTR's measurement, uh, that they have a gauge of the trucking economy that, that they call their trucking conditions index, uh, which is based on the things that we've been talking about, volumes and rates and capacity. Uh, and, and that reached a level of, of 11.35 in June, which was its highest level in a decade. Uh, we also saw similar numbers from a, a different firm, uh, which is called DAT Freight and Analytics. And they found that instead of uh, what we usually see as a typical slowdown during the hot summer months, uh, when the trucking industry typically moves less freight than they do when we get into the really uh, busy winter peak, shippers in 2020 instead are using the spot market to resolve those imbalances in the freight networks that we were talking about earlier as they hurry to restock inventories and fill their warehouses. Uh, and DAT has its own kind of index, uh, which also jumped up uh, in June. Do they give any forecast of whether those trends will continue in the future months, especially as we head towards fall and the holiday shopping season? Well, neither of the groups uh, thinks that it can sustain in future months, at, at least at the, uh, the pace of the quick rebound that, that we just saw in July. Uh, FTR thinks that that rebound will slow down as warehouses fill up again with inventory and as carriers add extra capacity to meet the growing demand. Uh, and likewise, DAT said that uh, the market could move in fits and starts uh, because different states are opening at different rates and they're being hit by second waves of the coronavirus at different times. Uh, so there's real inconsistency uh, for freight demand in the markets. Uh, and finally, both firms agreed that uh, keeping those freight demand uh, numbers high really comes back to defending on, on Congress and whether Washington, D.C. can agree on a second round of federal stimulus funds. Uh, basically, the, the two analyst firms are worried that the first stimulus bill basically subsidized the economic rebound that we're seeing now. So the nation's economy, including the trucking sector, 
uh, won't really be self-sustaining until a coronavirus vaccine becomes available. Well, we'll continue to track those trucking numbers each month, and hopefully we'll have some more positive news to share in the future. Thanks, Ben. Victoria, you reported this week on some social distancing solutions for use in warehouses. Can you explain what they are? Sure, sure. Happy to, Dave. Um, yeah, material handling companies of all kinds are responding to the need for, as you say, social distancing in warehouses and distribution centers. And they're doing that in a variety of ways. We've reported on, you know, sort of a vast, you know, wide range of things that people are doing. And this week, I spoke to battery technology company Enersys about the growing demand they're seeing for batteries that power AGVs. Uh, that stands for automated guided vehicles. And these are automated vehicles that can move heavy loads throughout a facility without an operator on board. So um, the company says its AGV-focused business has been growing at a really good clip since about 2014, largely in response to increased demand for warehouse automation, which is a trend we've been watching for quite some time. But um, much like we've seen in other industry trends, the COVID-19 pandemic has really accelerated that demand. So companies like Enersys are saying that they're seeing strong orders for AGV-related projects, especially in the last three to four months, and that they continue to add resources, really people, expertise to, uh, to meet that demand. For AGVs, automated guided vehicles, and similar equipment clearly reduce the amount of labor and human interaction within the workplace. How else do AGVs help, and what is it about the battery technology that makes a difference? Well, yeah, that's exactly right about reducing human interaction. Um, and companies are looking to find ways to deal with um, two issues, really. Hard to find labor, as many employees remain cautious about returning to work. And as we say, the need to social distance those workers that remain in the facility. So um, companies say that AGVs help address both those issues um, for you know obvious reasons. But as for the batteries, um, as Enersys explained to me, you know, AGV projects, they say, require a real, uh, real solutions approach, meaning that battery makers are often involved with the equipment producers and the end users from the beginning because they need to choose the right power solution that best fits the application, you know, depending on a variety of factors um, in the warehouse or DC. On top of that, newer battery, techno newer battery technologies, excuse me, are making a difference as well. Um, thin plate pure lead uh, varieties and lithium ion chemistries really help further reduce human interaction because they are very low maintenance, some say zero maintenance. Um, they don't require frequent change outs, watering, or length lengthy recharging like traditional lead acid batteries do. So all of this means less human interaction, less chance of transmitting the coronavirus. So it's a win on um, many fronts. Have we seen other kinds of solutions as well? Yeah, we've seen a, a wide variety. Uh, I think Ben has reported on, you know, robotics used to disinfect areas and things like that. Another uh, solution we heard about this week, or in the recent weeks, I should say, is from a systems integrator, Vargo uh, Solutions. They introduced a social distancing feature into their continuous order fulfillment execution system, and it's aimed at reducing the number of pickers there in a uh, pick aisle at the same time. And the interesting thing is that um, the systems algorithms can be programmed that create a process so that, like I said, only one person is in an aisle at a time and it keeps them at a minimum of eight feet apart. Um, the interesting thing about this, they say, is that um, a lot of times when you try to distance um, pickers in a, in a warehouse in particular, you slow down the process. But what they've done here is incorporated into the order flow 
um, so that um, the, the picker that's in the aisle, you know, by him or herself is picking more orders. So there's, there's one picker in an aisle and the system will send multiple picks to that employee uh, to maximize their time. So this is, this is a, a solution that's geared toward large volume warehouses. But again, it's another example of what uh, material handling companies are do, doing to, to address this issue. I know we've seen a couple of solutions too that have, in a sense, proximity sensors, whether it be with a scanner yes. or a wristband or something like that, that also alerts workers when they're getting closer to each other within six feet. So hopefully these exactly. solutions will further en enhance the safety for those essential workers in our warehouses and distribution centers. Thank you. That is the goal. Yeah, you're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. Go there to check it all out. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights of the news this week. Thanks, Dave. Always fun. Yes, you're welcome. Thanks for having us. And again, our thanks to Dr. Tom Goldsby of the University of Tennessee for being with us today. We encourage your feedback on the supply chain PPE topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Fortna. Fortna partners with the world's top brands to transform distribution operations into competitive advantage. Expertise includes distribution strategy, DC operations, micro-fulfillment, automation, and intelligent software. Distribution solutions designed today for tomorrow's challenges. Learn more about the distribution experts at Fortna.com. We encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Logistics Matters to find us. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, so be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week. <music>